Wow, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all our listeners from across the world. Thank you so much for joining us once again for another episode of the Knowing God podcast. I am your girl, Anike Akinbode. Welcome to the show, hosted by the one and only Holy Spirit, of course, because I literally ask that I be decreased completely so that the Holy Spirit can speak through me. So um, I do appreciate you for sticking with me. I appreciate you for listening, for sharing if you do. Thank you so much. Um, I welcome reviews, please. I'd love any kind of review that you can give me, even if it is through uh, the Anchor voice message. That would be so awesome. And I can even play it during one of the episodes as well. So you get to hear yourself. So uh, please take a moment to give me a review. If you are following me on Instagram, you can give me a review there as well at Knowing God Podcast and um, as well as on Facebook, um, Knowing God Podcast. So thank you so much once again for your support. Let's get right in. We did so well with time uh, last week. Excuse me. We did so well with time last week and I really loved what we talked about. I feel like The Holy Spirit almost took me to a place. You know, I just love what is revealed. And so before we begin, we definitely have to pay homage to our Lord and Savior. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to see a beautiful Wednesday. It's the middle of the week, according to the Roman calendar. And we are grateful, God. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love, for your compassion, uh, for for your security, for your counsel. Uh, for your guidance, for just everything that you do for us, oh God. And we just we just say thank you. Thank you for this platform. Thank you for the ears that are listening, uh, the hearts that are being touched daily by your word. Um, I just pray, Heavenly Father, that as they continue to tune in, as we continue to dig into your word, to learn more about you, to understand how the Holy Spirit operates, I pray that the Holy Spirit would touch each and every one of us, oh God. And that even those who have the hardest of hearts, that the Holy Spirit will soften their hearts and bring them closer to you, oh God. Thank you, Heavenly Father, once again for this opportunity. I do not take it for granted. I appreciate your support through the Spirit and through this word. And may it germinate an everlasting seed so that in the end we get to meet with you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen, amen, amen in Jesus' name. Yes. And that is sealed with a deal. So this week, we are going to be embarking on chapters 20, I believe it is. Yes, chapters 20 and 21. Oh my goodness. We are getting there, guys. We're like uh, probably halfway through the uh, book of Exodus. God is good. Um, You know, in 18 and 19, we talked about... um, Moses and his uh, father-in-law Jethro who gave you know an advice for Moses when it came to judging the people of Israel and their problems that it was just going to be too taxing on him and suggested that he find you know the strongest men the strongest willed men that are spirit filled to to take positions within their nation where the smallest of problems all the way to the top you know, there, there are people in place to kind of solve those issues before they would come to Moses, who would be the ultimate judge, right? Um, of course, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I try to liken that to our judicial system today, right? We've got like a small claims court. We've got misdemeanor court. We've got criminal court. You know, we've got civil court. We've got Supreme Court, right? And so I think ultimately Moses is looked at in, in this way as the Supreme Court judge, right? The, 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 the highest decision that would be made would be coming from God in this place. Like God will place wisdom in all the leaders that were, or the elders, I should say, that were placed in their positions to rule over the tens, the, the hundreds and the thousands of men. However, when it gets to a place where, oh, this is a tough one, Lord, we definitely need your guidance on this. I think this is where Moses comes in. So it was really cool to see how technically <laughs> the first judicial system occurred, because that's how I look at it. And that was in chapter 18. And then in chapter 19, it talked about the Israelites at Mount Sinai and 
This is where, you know, God wanted them to be made pure and holy. He did not want them to approach him on that holy ground. Because obviously, you know, mankind is just considered filthy. We are filthy. We are sinful. And we serve a holy God. So we have to be like consecrated, you know, like completely cleaned without blemish to even come before God in his presence, you know, in his glory. And, um, you know, Moses was advised to warn the people to make sure. And then I think I pointed out something about Moses and uh, this kind of stubbornness that he has, almost like he doesn't really take God serious when he says, I need you to warn the people. Well, that's because God sees what could possibly happen, what could take place. And it's like, Moses, go down and tell the people what I told you. Like, I have a reason for saying that, right? Um, so it says Moses in verse 25 went down to the people and he spoke to them. So now we are in chapter 20. And the subtitle for chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. Whew. We all know the Ten Commandments. This was when the Lord figured this is a lawless society. We need law and order. I begin. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's catch our breath for a moment. He's our Lord. He's our God, right? He helped the Israelites come out of Egypt, just like he has helped every single one of us come out of some type of problem. You know, he has taken us out of our own Egyptian issues and problems that we have faced and roadblocks and downfalls and things like that. And so why should we now turn our backs and go serve other gods when that when he is the ultimate God, the, the creator of heaven and earth? Why would we even want to do that? Why would you carve any image whatsoever, whether it be of yourself or anybody else and choose to worship an image that can't do anything for you? They can't speak to you. They can't hear you. They, they can do nothing, you know? Um, and, and God is saying, I'm a jealous God. So that's the last thing you want to do is make me jealous, right? He sees us as his bride. You're making me jealous. You're mine. And I now have to share you with someone else? No, it doesn't work like that. Verse seven says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We cannot use the Lord's, the, our Lord God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And if we all remember the Sabbath day, that was the seventh day when God rested from all his work, right? And um, I know that there are people that would like to contend and argue that the Sabbath day is Saturday and some say it's Sunday. Um, I mean, if we really want to get technical about it, the Sabbath, I would presume, was a Saturday because if Sunday starts the beginning of the week in this calendar we are using today, then I think it's safe to say that the Sabbath is Saturday. Nonetheless, the day you choose as your day of rest, it could be your Wednesday. God wants you to observe that day and keep it holy. It doesn't mean you still cannot feed the poor or that you can't do some charity work, something that is giving back. That is what God stands for, but it's a day of rest. Let me have that day. In other words, we're doing things in honor of him. If it's to go to church and serve him, we're doing it in honor of him. We're glorifying him. If we're doing it to go and serve others, right? The less fortunate, we're doing it in honor of him. That is how we observe the Sabbath. Verse 9 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. 
Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. It is very important that we honor our parents. We cannot disrespect them. We have to remember that their wisdom is before ours. They, they, they saw this earth before we did. They've experienced some things before we have. We have due diligence to honor our fathers and our mothers. You do not want to be cursed. <laughs> so we have to be very careful. Even when I, the Bible also says, when my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. So even if your father and your mother, they forsake you, they have no, they want nothing to do with you, they abuse you, they maltreat you, no need to curse them, no need to do any of those things. Just know that when they forsake you, God will take you up. That is the ultimate father and mother that we need in our lives. Verse 13 says, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shouldn't lie. Why would you lie against your neighbor, especially if you have not seen anything? How can you be a witness to something that you never even saw? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servants, nor his female servants, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Covet, which I think has plural meanings to that. But one of the main things is we are not allowed in any shape or form to sleep with our you know hello because <laughs> i feel like i don't need to say this any plainer than it already is but you're not supposed to mess with your neighbor's wife and that neighbor could mean anything your, your fathers your mothers your sisters your brothers whosoever it is you should not even be engaging sexually with anyone even those who are you know who sickly engage in sexual relationships with animals we must be very 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 careful with all these things you know god is very serious about his words and he's also very serious about his blessings you know these are god-based moral codes you know it doesn't just say that certain behavior is unwise or unhelpful it says that god commands us to do or not do certain things. And so it could imply that God sees our obedience or disobedience. God measures our obedience um, or disobedience. And in some way, he rewards our obedience and punishes our disobedience. So without this God-based moral code, it could be difficult or impossible to answer the question, why, in response to any moral demand, right? Like, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to not have an abortion well then you wouldn't be killing an innocent baby um, and i know that is such a very sensitive topic for most people however i don't know to me that's just you're killing i don't know how else to break that down um, but these 10 commandments were given as a, as a moral code as a guide for us to follow you know, he made it clear, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And so you shall have no other gods before me. We have to remember that. Um, we just need to be very, very cognizant of how we move and how we are living our life on this borrowed earth, because this is not where we would ultimately, you know, end up. We might die on this earth, but our souls have to go somewhere, right? But we have to remember that we serve a jealous God. He does not want us serving other gods. <clears throat> so we have to be very, very, very mindful. We need to pray that God aligns us with, you know, the right people in our lives that will keep us on track, that will remind us of the God whom we serve, you know. So it's, it's not easy. It isn't an easy walk. And we thank God for Jesus Christ because these are laws, right, that... God clearly knew would be very difficult to follow each one because we live in a world of sin. You know, so you might be able to do nine, but you might not be able to keep up with 10. And this law says that you must be able to abide to all 10 of the laws, right? And so this kind of makes us a prisoner to sin until there's something that can free us from it, if that makes sense, right? 
Um, and for those of you who are already familiar with Jesus Christ or is familiar with the New Testament, then you will understand what I'm saying here. Jesus came to us as that freedom, as that way out of this bind. Because we're, we're, we're like bounded to this law if we don't have anything to kind of save us from it. But Jesus came to save us from that law, to save us from these laws, that if you lie, if you steal, if you covet, if you do these things and you acknowledge them and you repent of those sins and you accept Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior and you begin to walk the righteous walk, then God will hear you and he will heal you. He will make you a new man and he will cast out the old man. And now you are walking as a, as a spiritual, uh, what's the word? A spiritual relative to Abraham, right? Because we know the promise that God had for the Israelites. But for we, for us, we are like spiritually grafted into the Israel family. And so once you have gone that way, the Lord no longer sees your sins. It's now sin no more, right? And you keep going forward. Now, are we going to be sinless? No, not at all. But now we know that we have an intercessor, right? We know that we have someone who fills in the gap. Lord, oh my God, I did it again. I really need your help. And this is why the Lord said he would send us a, a, a comforter, which he did. And so when, when we are getting to this place of, it's, I'm finding it difficult to to stay on track and I keep finding myself going back to the same thing more than likely we need the help of the Holy Spirit right so we just want um you know this this desire that we have for like a meteor a mediator like someone who acts as that go-between between us and God it's only good if it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ right and that's what I said here for there is one God and one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus. And you can find this in 1 um, Timothy 2, verse 5. So that's our mediator. That's our intercessor. And we thank God for sending his only son, his only begotten son, John 3, 16, right? To die on the cross of Calvary for our sins. And that is who we call that in every, in everything, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Yes? All right. So let's move on. Verse 18. And this subtitle is The People Afraid of God's Presence. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we hear you. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Ooh, sounds like, oh my God. Like we, we knew that God was with us, but we did not know how mighty, how grand his presence was. And they were like, Moses, please, we beg you. Can you speak to us next time? We do not want God to speak to us because, mm-mm. Like the last thing we want to do is to even cause God to be upset, right? And that's what um, the, and Moses said to the people in verse 20, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So this test, right? The test revealed to them what kind of God they served, a God above nature, like personal, good, holy. It revealed to them what God's expectations were, right? that God is a moral God who expects moral behavior from his people. It also revealed to them their own weakness, right? And um, and the need for God's grace, for his help, for his rescue. So, you know, Moses was just reassuring them that they, they, they do not need to fear. In other words, the type of fear of torment, like God is not here to torment you. Instead, this fear that he brings upon you is for you to give him honor, to give him reverence, to give him respect, to obey him. You know, when you see this, he says, um, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I have come as a comforter, I believe. Lord, help me with the words. But I know that you find that in the book of Psalms as well. Like God doesn't want us to fear him per se as though, as though he's coming to torment us. That's the devil's job, right? God wants us to have the fear of him in us, knowing that hindsight, if I do this thing, I could be getting God really upset because he clearly said I should not do it, right? So it's that kind of fear, the fear that we have for our parents, 
when our mom and dad says, I need you to be home by 10 o'clock. And you know that you went over your curfew. You're afraid to open the door because you don't know if you're going to get a slap by the time you come in, right? That's the kind of fear that God wants you to have for him. Reverence, honor. The uh, subtitle that ends chapter 19 here from verse 22 says, The Law of the Altar. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen what I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by the steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. And this ends chapter 20. Hmm. What is God saying here <clears throat> as we read? Whew. You know, God is a very powerful, mighty God. And we, we definitely have to understand, you know, his, his glory and his presence and his purpose, right? Um, if we take a moment, you know, the, the lightning and the flashes and all these things that they were seeing, it was just so much for them. It was like, you know, when, when God appeared to Moses, right, in the burning bush, it's like the bush was burning with fire, but it wasn't on fire right? That's God's presence. You know, uh, the Israelites saying, listen, don't let God speak with us. You know, you would think that God loved the dramatic experience that was at Mount Sinai, and especially the honor of hearing God's voice like a loudspeaker from heaven. But instead, because of how awed they were, it almost made them feel like, you know, dreadful because they were like, whoo, please let God stop talking. Like the sound of his voice was probably just so magnificent it was so so grand so unbelievable that it was too much for them to bear you know and um in this situation the israelites were thinking to themselves like okay at this point god has given us a warning this is something that we need to follow it sounded too great too big for them um and then where they say you know they tell moses speak with us um, and we will hear. It was like, okay, we know that we've been stubborn. We know that we've been kind of pushing you off every time you spoke to us. We um, didn't want to hear what you had to say. We didn't have any patience, but after hearing God's voice, I think we would rather just hear from you. We'll believe you. But you know, God knows us before we even know what we're gonna do. He knows our thoughts. He knows the actions we're going to take. And so in this situation, God had to warn Moses again, right? Out of one of the commandments was that they should not um, serve any other gods. And in this situation, it was very clear again where the Lord says, you shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourself. And God is warning them again that they must not. It sounds as if it's going to happen, but if they heed to my warning, then okay, uh, things it should be better, right? It won't get any worse than it could get. And uh, Moses was was ordered to let these people know that they must not, they must not make any other God, but instead they can make an altar of the earth. And so this, you know, the first law that was mentioned had to do with sacrifice and atonement, right? And this was an, an expectation that Israel would break the laws God gave them and need to atone for their sin by sacrifice. So it's kind of like God already knew that they were going to break the law. And so he already, he's given them this out in a way, like make this altar for me, right? Um, and it's, God is awesome because it's like God knows already, not it's like God does know. He knows that these people are going to sin. They're still going to do this thing. But in the meantime, I need you to make this off, um, this uh, altar for me where that they can bring their sacrifices, but they cannot even step on it because again, they're, too, they're going to be filled with sin, and that would expose them. Their sins would be exposed to them. And so God also gave that warning. So we're going to go into chapter 21, which is the last um, chapter for today. 
and we'll probably go a little bit further in this because this is a lot to break down and to kind of just get us to understand and so we're going to go a bit more into it chapter 21 starts off with the law concerning servants now these are the judgments which you shall set before them if you buy a hebrew servant he shall serve six years and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing if he comes in by himself he shall go out by himself if he comes in married then his wife shall go out with him this is the law concerning servants right verse 4 says if his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself but if the servant plainly says i love my master my wife and my children i will not go out free then his master shall bring him to the judges he shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever and if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave she shall not go out as the male slaves do if she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself then he shall let her be redeemed he shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her and if he has betrothed her to his son he shall deal with her according to the customs of daughters if he takes another wife he shall not diminish her food her clothing and her marriage rights and if he does not do these three for her then she shall go out free without paying money Oof. so this is a lot to unpack from um chapters 21:1 to 11 let's take a quick break and then let's come back and revisit this and uh sort of break down what god is saying here all right and um i'll get my study bible and we'll try to work this out and gain more understanding about what god is saying here because i know this is usually the toughest part especially in the old testament to understand you know how some things were just allowed to be I will be right back. Please don't go anywhere. All right, everyone. So we are back. Thank you for sticking around. So let's get into this. <laughs> These laws are directed to the judges. So remember when Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came, you know, we talked about, we kind of did a recap and we talked about the purpose of having all these judges to judge the people of Israel because it was just too much for Moses to do alone and so now God is like sort of God this is where God starts to create laws that will pertain according to the kind of judges ooh, excuse me that exist right um for the Israelites and so I'm looking at David Guzik, right? So that I don't misquote I can't use my words if they're not mine I'm going to um I can't say they're my words if they're not mine, right? And so David Guzik, uh, he's a Bible scholar, and I really love his insight. And I think that it definitely kind of matches a lot of times with what I am reading when I read the Bible. And so we start with where God says, now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. And before them, meaning to the Israelites. And so from chapters 21 to 23 God starts to lay out all these laws to address the people of Israelite. Um you've got employment law regarding the treatment of servants, you've got murder, manslaughter and violence assault, you know, liability for one's animals and responsibility for the animals of others. We've got laws surrounding theft, responsibility and restitution, laws surrounding rape, dowry and the value of a woman's virginity. laws surrounding idolatry and sorcery treatment of disadvantaged people in society money and property lending justice and equal standing before the law according to David Guzik and i think this makes a lot of sense if we break it down to where we could understand a bit better and uh, and so he goes on further to say that these different regulations are just remarkable for their justice and prudence as it concerns humanity right and i agree right because it's like okay we've put out a law and now with these laws that are set 
mankind is bound to break the law and they could break this these laws in so many various ways because of the god that we serve because he's an all-knowing all-powerful god of authority he already sees what is going to happen he had to set these laws in place to address to be able to judge the people accordingly you know and according to the law that was set out before them so if you go out there and you steal this is the law and this is how the law should handle those kind of people if you take a woman and you rape her whether it be your servant your daughter whoever it is this is how this law has to be taken many people may not have liked the outcome for it in that time we thank god for jesus christ right because he came to take away a majority of those things not to necessarily do away with the law but to bring grace to the law right and so that doesn't mean we should abuse the grace but i just say this to say that god tried to set not tried god set standards in which mankind should follow in order to continue to remain in good graces with him because at this time it was god and the people and the worst thing you want to do is offend God because there's no one in between to help you. Moses is a sinner as well. This he can't he can't save you from death. He can only plead um on your behalf. Maybe hey God, please remove this sickness or you know this infliction or this poverty this person is facing, whatever it is. And God may be able to hear um your prayers prayers through Moses, but Moses is not he didn't have any power to stop you from spiritual death and, and that's where the law really bounds people it kind of holds you hostage if you do not have Christ in your life um and so i think this is wonderful how god starts to break down laws concerning you know the servants those that you were serving and how they must be dealt with and then when we get into the the next um part of chapter 21 it says the law concerning violence Verse 12 says he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. If you kill, you yourself will die. And and that's just it. There's no like uh in between or any ifs and or buts about it. God is saying you kill someone and they die, you will be put to death as well. And that was the judgment. In 13 it says however, if he did not lie in wait but God delivered him into his hand then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. Mm, this is a deep one. So in other words, you know, a lot of people would say, "Oh, why would God let something happen?" Well, God lets certain things happen for a reason because there are some things that you don't see people do in the dark, but God does. And so God may deliver that person into the hands of the one that's going to take their lives and then God will also help that person um you know be set free or find uh, what's the word F- find a place that the person can hide until things settle down right because God sent them at the end of the day life is going to happen and because there's a law and there's laws around violence that person is going to be sought after they're not going to care that oh you know this person did this to me and this is why I responded The, the the man won't care about that because there are people placed in in the positions that they're in god knows that some of them might take it to, the, to take it to head and they're going to be real strong on nope this is the law the law is the law it doesn't matter if you were innocent in this case um before this happened you killed someone so you must die but maybe god doesn't want that person to die because maybe god did it that way that that person took care of the other one for whatever deed they did that many could not see in the light right because only only the lord saw what they did in the dark and that's just figuratively speaking i'm not saying that you know it was dark outside so that's why people couldn't see of course we can see in the dark that's why god gave us the moon and the stars in the sky what i'm saying is the things that you do in secret that no one else would know other than god who created us verse 14 says but if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery you shall take him from my altar that he may die i mean whew, imagine There are people and it happens till this day that literally sit down and orchestrate and plan and meditate on how they are going to do somebody else harm, how they're going to kill someone. You put that in your mind. You sat down and you let it so the enemy puts it in your mind and then you now take it 
and you absorb it and you actually plan around it. Satan's job is to just plant, right? <laughs> and then he keeps it moving. Now it's up to that man. That's how God knows, okay, this kind of human I created, his heart is just, yeah. Cause Satan ain't really do much here, you know? And so it really takes the man, salvation is personal. I say this all the time. So it really takes that individual to want to do so much evil and to sit down and think of it. And God is saying, you remove them from my altar altogether. That person is dead. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Do you guys remember what I said before the break? Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long. It doesn't matter what your parents do to you. It could be so hurtful that you might want to hit them. That in itself is a sin, just the thought of it. But to actually strike your parents, oh no, God is not feeling that. And he says you'll be put to death. And I feel like that law still stands today unless you seek Christ and he washes away that sin for you. Verse 16 says, he who kidnaps a man and sells him or he, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. Think of all the kidnapping that's going on today. Sometimes we hear stories where the kidnappers just end up dropping the kid off somewhere. That could be the power of prayer. Imagine a family that just says, Lord, I know that this is your child. And you, and you said, touch not your anointed, that they must not do them any harm. This is your child, God. I need you. I need the Holy Spirit to go out there and touch that kidnapper right now and let them just decide on their own to drop my child off. Do y'all know that these things happen? But that is faith and that is prayer. And many parents don't have that today. Many parents aren't praying for their children. Many parents aren't prophesying over their children. And we have to do that every day, consciously, subconsciously, unconsciously, whatever. We must always have our children in prayer because the devil is looking for whom to kill, steal, and destroy. And they will stop at nothing, especially when it comes to our babies. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Whew. If men contend with each other and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and he does not die, but is confined to his bed. If he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. So he says, if men contend with each other. So in other words, it's not one contending with the other. It's the both of them got into an argument. It ended up to fisticuffs. One got hit so bad, but he didn't die. It just kind of rendered him, you know, a bit disabled for the moment. God says they can be acquitted. You, you, you do the judgment and the other man who struck the guy who is now walking with a cane can be acquitted. It's fine. And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. So many of us who are still traumatized by our past, you know, history, slavery, and things like that. Slavery happened as a result of our sins. It, it kind of sucks, I think, to hear that. But yeah, if we're looking at the story of the Israelites, it definitely fits a lot of us, um, you know, colored people, um, so to speak. And, and there are many other people. It's not just colored people that were enslaved. There's white folks who were going through it. They were enslaving one another. You know, like just anyone who is in slavery, if they're being tortured and abused, God still did not like that because he still loves his people all the same. Regardless, people should still be treated fairly. You know, we don't, we don't serve a wicked God. We serve a fair and just God, you know? Um, and so that's what is being said here. If a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. Hear this clearly. If men fight 
and they hurt a woman who has um, who is pregnant. So there are men fighting, and a woman is in the midst, and then uh, and they didn't know she was pregnant, and she ends up having to give birth prematurely. But she's not hurt. There are no um, detrimental scars or anything like that. She's fine. She gave birth and everything. The person who injured that woman or who caused her to give birth prematurely is going to be punished according to whatever the woman's husband decides. And the judges will make that final determination. In verse 23, it says, but if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, strike for strike. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. Verse 28 in the subtitle here is animal control laws. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. I hope you guys are really paying attention to this. Animals are, are subject to judgment just as human beings are. We may not be able to speak, you know, in layman terms with animals, but God and animals, they speak. Trust and believe that. And so when animals commit sin, they must also face judgment, just like humans do as well. Isn't that deep? That is very, very deep. And in this situation, if the ox goes out and basically butchers a man or a woman to death, that ox is gonna be stoned and they cannot eat of the flesh of it because of, I guess because of that sin, if we wanna say, um, but the owner of it shall be acquitted because it's not like the owner puts the ox on the person right to say here go and kill them you know i think then the owner is like when they say guns um don't kill people people kill people i think in this case is like i didn't sick my ox on these people so hey do i go free you know it was the ox that made that decision but the law illustrated the principle of intent and neglect and this is according to david guzik right it says an owner of a man killing ox could not be held guilty if the animal had no history of aggression towards people yet the animal must die and the owner was forbidden to profit from the animal or its death that's why he said its flesh shall not be eaten no one was to profit um, from or regard casually even accidental death that is very interesting. Ah, so that makes a lot of sense now. I was looking at it more from the sense of it's, um, yeah, I think it's right. I mean, this animal sinned. And although the owner is not necessarily responsible for what the oxen did because there's no history um, of any type of aggression, because then they would be like, oh, the owner wasn't even able to take care of its animal to begin with. We're not surprised this happened. Then maybe the owner would have suffered consequences as well. But the owner still gets a bit of a punishment, right? Because remember how the, the livestock is regarded. That's their food. You know what I'm saying? And so it was more like, oh, okay, it was stoned to death. So what happens with the carcass? Yeah, you can't eat it. So you still don't get anything from it as the owner, because at the end of the day, your ox is the one that committed this um, atro atrocity, so to speak. I hope that makes more sense. Okay, let's go on. <clears throat> but if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past, and it has been made known to his owner, and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. Hallelujah. So what I just said to you guys, and I've not, I have not even read past, I think, Exodus 7. So this is new to me. So we're all learning together, by the way, just to throw that disclaimer there. So for me to even describe that, and I didn't even read that yet, is like, thank you, Holy Spirit. So I do understand what is being said here. And just as I said, if that was an ox where people clearly knew that it had, okay, think about today, those who own um, dogs and stuff like that. Like people know bulldogs to be rough and violent and things like that, but it could also be stemming from their owners. If people have noticed already that this guy doesn't even know how to tame his own dogs, 
I'm not even surprised that the dog tore that man to pieces. And yeah, the dog and the owner is going to is going to die. That's basically what the law is saying here in Exodus chapter 21, that the owner had no control over its animal. Therefore, the animal did what it did. And you being the owner was basically like an animal because you did not even confine your um, your ox for it to do what it did. So I think that was clear in its context. Verse 30 says, if there is imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life, whatever is imposed on him. And so the man may even still be saved if there is some type of money that is imposed to redeem his life, kind of like a bail right when somebody's going to say please 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 we don't want them to do life um you know what's the bill we'll put up the money to, to to free them he just may he just may be able to redeem his life but that does not mean he wouldn't be punished verse 31 whether it has gored a son or gored a daughter according to this judgment it shall be done to him if the ox gores a male or female servant he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. And if a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give money to their owner, but the dead animal shall be his. Again, it's a big thing to be able to have more livestock, right? Because livestock means food on the table. And I think this is pretty clear here, what happens. Verse 35 says, if one man's ox hurts another's so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox they shall also divide. Or if it was known that the ox tended to thrust in time past, and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead man shall be, and the, sorry, and the dead animal shall be his own. And let me read that again. And that's the last verse for chapter 21. And we'll stop there. Or if it was known that the ox tended to thrust in time past, kind of like what we read earlier, and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox and the dead animal shall be his own. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us to get through that. And so I think it's so clear here in terms of the animal control laws. It's just really expecting that the owners of animals should keep their animals um, on, on a tight leash, right? Like you need to take care of them. You need to love them. You need to nourish them the same way because God created the animals as well. But who you are will definitely determine how your animals behave and how they act. And if your animal goes out there and kills and people know your animal to already be a feisty, tough, stubborn one, you just know that you're facing the same consequence. If your animal goes out and attacks another animal and the other animal doesn't die, right? Doesn't die, is still alive but it's kind of injured where it's kind of rendered useless, then the owner of the animal that was attacked, you know, gets um, a divide from the animal, right? She would have to share it. It just is what it is. Your animal was, um, was, was, was out of bounds, right? Was out of place, so to speak. And I, I love that, that last part too. If um, again, that animal was the stubborn animal and it did what it did, then, hey, you gotta pay ox for an ox. Your ox killed mine, so I'm gonna have to take yours. And that's exactly what that is saying in verse 36. I am so grateful um, for everyone listening. I love how David Guzik sort of ends this um, chapter 21 uh, and it's just saying, and again, remember, we're going to still continue reading more of the laws. Um, I think it goes up to chapter 23, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so may God continue to lead us, which we'll be doing 22 and 23 next week. So we'll be seeing more of these laws and trying to break it down and understand it. But these laws uh, require the investigation and analysis of judges so that the application of the law took into account findings of intent and negligence. Right. And that's how the law should be today. Like we need to we really need to look into what happened. What was the intent? Uh, was there any negligence in this situation? That's how the law of the animals um, are put in place. There is a sense in which these are simply applications of the general principles of justice and fairness. So to a struggling Israelite farmer, fair payment for the death of an ox might mean the difference between life and death, or at least 
between freedom and slavery for debt, if you really want to look at it from that. And these are the words of David Guzik. Um, God bless his soul, because I really think that uh, the Holy Spirit definitely helped to give him the wisdom and knowledge to apply these biblical um, scriptures into theoretical sense for, for us, right, into plain English, so that we can kind of understand and apply it to life today. So with that being said, I want to thank everyone so much for tuning in. I feel so compelled to read 22 and 23 in advance and to be able to, because I know I kind of stumbled over my words, but that's because I don't want it to really be my words. I want the Holy Spirit to guide me. So a lot of times if you hear me kind of stop or get stuck, it's literally me taking a deep breath and allowing the Holy Spirit to put those words in me so that it can flow. And so I wouldn't be surprised um, if by next week I feel like I've got it (laughs) under control for the most part with the help of the Holy Spirit. So I want to thank everyone again so much for tuning in, for listening. Please remember to share. Don't forget to send me your messages, any comments that you have. And also follow me on Instagram at knowinggodpodcast. That's knowinggodpodcast on Instagram and on Facebook as well. You can also go to anchorfm.com slash knowinggod. And you can listen to previous uh, recordings, previous episodes from the beginning of time. You get to know who Liz is, who is Anike. Uh, If you haven't heard that episode, definitely go listen to my very first episode. And I plan to kind of do another, a a bonus update episode of who Anike is today and who Anike is hoping to be for tomorrow, (laughs) you know, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, of course. So once again, thank you all so much. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity once again. I thank you, Lord, for the enlightenment. I thank Heavenly Father for opening our eyes and helping us to understand what it was like in those days and how it actually even is still happening today or um, should be applied to today's laws. I just want to say thank you, Heavenly Father, and may your spirit never, ever depart from us. We pray for more wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to just be able to develop an even closer relationship with you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you and we worship you, and we thank you for answered prayers. Amen. God bless you all. And have a blessed rest of your week and weekend until next Wednesday, 6 p.m. Don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend. And remember, always put God first. Love you guys.